0: Welcome to the Bradleyville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We're located at 285 Church Street in Bradleyville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with worship to follow at 11 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now, please enjoy our lesson. We're going to continue today in our study of evangelism, thinking about the the habit of personal evangelism, and what I want to transition to now. And, and just I hope that I hope that this has been an enjoyable series for you. I don't want you to think that this is just going to go on and on and on forever, because there is a there is kind of a timeline that I'm working towards uh, that will will come to fruition here in a couple of weeks, and then we'll transition into some different topics, but. Uh, what I want to talk about now is how do, we, how do we relate to the world in a bigger context? How do we relate to people who maybe don't know Jesus? Or they've heard the name of Jesus, but they don't know about Jesus. Or maybe they've even heard about God, but they don't really know a lot about Jehovah, of the Bible. How do we relate to those people? How do we bring the gospel to them? And what do we need to be then prepared for to be able to do that we're going to talk in the next couple of weeks about some bigger evidences of god and some some approaches that we can use when we are talking to people who who may not have a the same spiritual grounding that we do they may not have the same spiritual perspective we take it for granted that when we talk with people most people in this country we assume have an understanding of biblical principles and that's becoming less and less normal in this country. And so if you want to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 17, we're going to kind of begin this transition in our evangelistic study by looking at a sermon that Paul preached to some people who were, who were not familiar with Jehovah of the Bible. And we're going to learn from this some, some things that we can do to help build relationships with people so that we can then share the gospel with them. Acts chapter 17, as Will read for us in verse 16, um, Paul has come to the city of Athens. Now Athens is one of the major uh, city-states of the Grecian Empire prior to the Romans taking over. And it was, each, each of these big cities, these city-states had their own kind of characteristics. You had Sparta, And they were known for, you ever heard the term Spartan? You know, when you go into a building or room and it's just plain Jane. Right now our auditorium is kind of Spartan. There's not a whole lot of color or flash or excitement to it. It's it's functional. The Spartans were functional, but they were warriors. And they, they, they lived a Spartan lifestyle. The Athenians were ideological. They were philosophical. They were always, and we'll see that as we get into this, they were always looking for something new to learn. And so they were more what we might consider a we might call them a college town, right? They're always trying to learn something new. They may never be, do anything with it, but they want to learn something. But there was something else about the city of Athens that was important. They were they were a, a, they were a worshiper of any god they could could find. And that's going to kind of be the basis for our discussion. How do we relate to people who worship something different than we do? Maybe they worship money. Maybe they worship fame. Maybe they worship material items. Maybe they worship a, a an idol or a, a false god. There's something that they worship that's different than Jehovah. How do we relate to them? So, just to kind of uh kind of give us some a little more insight into the the Athenians, look at verse 21. Acts chapter 17 verse 21. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there, spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Now, we know that's a little bit hyperbole because we know there was business, there was enterprise that took place in, in, in Athens. People ate food and so somebody had to produce food for them. But their primary purpose was to, to hear or to tell something new. You ever been in an environment like that before? I said something about Athens being a college town because that's probably the closest I ever came to being in an environment whenever I, was whenever I went to Ralla. Ralla was focused a lot around the, the university. And so there was always people that trying to learn something new, trying to gain some new knowledge or trying to teach something new to somebody else. And so this was a town that was, that was wrapped up in, he said that, that you know, as, as Luke records here, they spent most of their time trying to do this. They were people who and you might say worshiped ideas, they pursued ideas they they struggled to 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 find new ideas and so they were a, a, a people there was a as a, as a as a group of people they were known for their philosophy. I've noted uh, William Red Forest in verse eighteen. you jump back to verse eighteen. then certain Epicureans and Stoic philosophers encountered Paul the Epicureans were the followers of Epicurus. They, he was a philosopher back in the fourth century BC, so about four hundred years before these events take place. And he he didn't develop this philosophy because you can even go back in the Old Testament and you can read this philosophy in the mindset of the Jews of the time of the of the ancient um, prophets. But the mindset is this, and it's noted there in 1 Corinthians chapter fifteen, thirty-two. Let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Have you ever heard that idea before? If you haven't never heard it, I know you have seen people living their lives that way. Uh, all you have to do to, to find that is turn on a, a -- I started to say, a good country music channel, and you'll hear some of those songs played, right? You get your paycheck on Friday, and by Saturday night it's gone. right? That's the lifestyle that a lot of people lived. And this, this was a lifestyle that was based on the idea that, that man's purpose came from happiness the pursuit of happiness, and the only thing that would prevent man from achieving that was fear, being afraid of things, and particularly what Epicurus Epicurus said was the focus of fear, if you boil it all down, people are afraid of dying, so if we can remove the fear of death, then there's really nothing else to be afraid of, and so people can literally live this lifestyle. Let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. I'm not afraid of tomorrow, but I want to take I want to get all the fun out of it I can today. And so Epicurus, Epicurus was an extreme materialist. He believed that everything happy was derived from material life. And he was um Yeah, that's 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 the Epicureans. Uh the Stoics were not quite necessarily the opposite side of the coin, but they saw virtue as man's primary purpose. Doing good was their was their primary purpose. But their good was not derived from the gods. Their good was derived from nature. So anything that in nature was good was something to be pursued. And so therefore they were very reserved in their, they, they weren't overly uh, overly emotional they weren 't overly so you, have you ever heard anybody today be referred to as, as he 's a, a very stoic person when you think of that often you think about somebody who 's very serious right somebody who 's very um, very deliberate the Stoics are that way but I point that out to to say this this is the the con this is the context in which paul is, is preaching he 's coming to a city that is seeking new ideas, new philosophies because they 've got these these philosophies that people are teaching uh, and propagating throughout the city. There's something else about the city that's interesting. Back to verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Now, when you hear that phrase given over to idols, what do you think of? They were overrun with idolatry. One of the philosophers of, of Athens said that it was easier to find a god in Athens than it was to find a man. <laughs> and you can go back and you can read reports of the different numbers that, that people estimated of the different temples and statues of, of different gods that were prevalent in the city. And so now you kind of see the context. We're dealing with a city who worships false gods. They worship ideas. And they're out there looking for new ideas. And so now we put Paul in this equation. Paul's come to Athens, and the Scripture says that his spirit was provoked in him. What does that mean? You ever been stirred up over something that you've seen that's wrong? You just know it's wrong, and you can't hardly help but say something about it. Well, that's Paul. Paul's come to Athens. He's stirred up over it. And so what we're going to see here is that Paul is going to, in the face of all this, Paul's going to act very boldly. Now, one of the things I want to note here is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses twenty. 21 through 25. You don't have to turn over there, but I want to read this to you. For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Greeks and Jews, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now that's kind of the theme for this whole, this whole sermon. And really this series is God's foolishness is wiser than any of the wisdom that man's ever going to come up with. He's wiser than the Epicurean philosophy. He's wiser at his foolishness. Now, you understand what I'm saying, right? God is not foolish, but if God were foolish, if God acted in a foolish way, it would still be wiser than the Stoic philosophy. It would still be wiser than the Epicureans. But mankind has, has, has throughout its history pursued these worldly wisdoms. And so as we relate to people, what we've got to show them is there is a higher wisdom. There's a greater authority that comes from God. And we need to recognize that authority. And because he has authority, then we have the obligation to obey him. That's, that's essentially what we're gonna talk about today is to help people understand that there's a bigger authority than nature. So now Paul's in Athens, and he, is, uh, he sees all these idols around him. And he's gonna act very boldly. He's gonna take on these idols. And so you notice what he doesn't do he doesn't get out an axe and he doesn't find the first temple and he doesn't go to work chopping it down trying to tear it down. That that might be a temptation of us, right? We might try to go down and tear down the physical manifestation of these idols. But Paul doesn't fight that way. He doesn't combat idolatry that way. And there's a reason for it. The reason is this because God's weapons are not fleshly. God's weapons, Paul would say, uh, in 1 Corinthians, they're not carnal. They're not used to tear down physical things, but they're used to tear down to break down ideas, to destroy uh, Paul would say principalities and powers. This is all found over in, in 2 Corinthians and, and we won't turn over there to that because I'm trying to, I'm trying to first of all, I'm trying to discipline myself to, to stay on task and to stay on target and to stay on time. But when we see Paul fighting against this. He's not fighting with his hands. He's not fighting with material weapons, but he's going to use the spiritual weapons that God's given him. And that is ideas. That's concept. That's philosophy that comes from God. So let's start to break down this, this, uh, um, Start to break down this situation, and particularly the sermon, and see what we can draw out of it to learn. Verse 17, therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers. Let's stop right there. First thing to note is Paul didn't neglect those people who believed in Jehovah. You remember Jesus when he sent his disciples into the world, their first instruction was to go to the Jews. They were always to go teach the Jews first, and then the Greeks, then the Gentiles, and Paul never neglected that. He always went to the synagogue first. He went to those people who were Jews and those who were God-fearing or God-worshipping people. There were people in the first century who were Gentiles. They had not been converted to Judaism. They had, the men had not been circumcised, but they feared Jehovah. Can you think of an example of somebody like this? You go back to Acts chapter 10 and you read about a man named Cornelius who was a God-fearing Roman. And so Paul went to these people first, and he reasoned with them. Now, where did he reason from, you think? Now, we, we saw last week what he used to reason with the Samaritans, what Philip might have used to reason with the Samaritans, and what Philip might have used to reason with the, the Ethiopian eunuch, and he used the Scriptures. He most likely went back to Isaiah and to the prophets, and he showed them from the scriptures how that the Messiah was prophesied that he would be a suffering Messiah, that he would die, and that he would be raised again. And he would have showed that from the scriptures. And so we see Paul here with the Jews and the God fearers, the Gentile worshippers, doing that. But notice what else he's doing. And in the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. Now what we know, what we already know about the Athenians. This shows us that Paul's fitting right in with them, right? What did they want to do? What was their favorite thing to do? To hear something new. To hear something that they'd never heard before. And, and so Paul sees that as an opportunity, and he goes into the Agora, the marketplace, and he begins to preach about God there. And he gets the attention of some of some, some teachers. He gets the attention of some uh some philosophers, verse 18. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him and said, What does this babbler want to say? I love that. You know what the Greek word there for babbler means? It literally means seed picker. We'd call them nitpickers. What does this nitpicker want to say? All right. They, they hear what Paul's preaching and it sounds foreign to them. Now what's interesting here is the first thing they do is they, they, they start to kind of run down Paul because in, in, the, in their mind what Paul's preaching is inferior to what they believe. But they still want to hear it, right, because it's new and they haven't encountered it before. And some said he's a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection and so they had never heard about Jesus before. What's, it, what's something else we know about the Athenians? They were not afraid to worship a new God. And he's a proclaimer of a God they'd never heard of before, this Jesus and the fact that he was resurrected. And so now Paul has their attention. And so he's invited to go up on Mars Hill or the Areopagus, depending on the version you're reading from. Verse 19, And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus or Mars Hill, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. Now it's very interesting to me. Mars was the Roman god of war. Ares was the Greek God of war. So they take him up on the hill of the God of War to preach the Prince of Peace. They take him up there to preach Jesus. And now we're going to see Paul get into his sermon. And what I wanted to note here, and what I want to note, is a structure that Paul uses to be effective in his evangelism when he's preaching to some some people who don't know about Jehovah. They take him up on the the, um, uh, verse 20, for you are bringing some strange thing to our ears, therefore we want to know what these things mean. Now skip down to um, verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are, depending on the version you're reading, New King James says very religious, the King James says superstitious. Either one of those, what they mean is, you are overly zealous towards things of a spiritual nature. Is that a bad thing? You've got people who are interested in things of a spiritual nature. So he said, I'm going to take advantage of it. Now, so what I want us to see here is, Paul is looking for, I use the phrase, the hook. When I say the hook, what, what does that mean? He's looking for something to hang his preaching, his teaching on. And I don't mean this, I don't want this to be, I don't want you to think about this as a gimmick. This is not a gimmick. But anytime we're going to build a relationship with with people, we've got to find what the hook is. How do we build this relationship? How do we find something that we can hang this relationship on? And what Paul's going to use is the fact that they are open to worshiping gods they're not familiar with. And he keys in on one particular God. Verse 23, for I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. They were so superstitious. They were so religious that they didn't want to miss any gods. And so they put up an altar to this God that's unknown to them. And Paul's going to use that as the hook. There's the hook, right? Right. You're worshiping a God you don't know. I'm going to teach you about Him. I'm going to proclaim things about Him so that you can become more familiar with Him. And based on that then, I'm going to transition this discussion into a, a discussion about Jehovah God and Jesus. Now in future lessons, we're going to talk about the about things we can use. Again, I don't mean this to be a, a gimmick, but we're going to talk about things we can use as a hook. What can we hang religious discussion on with people who don't have a concept of the God of the Bible. We're going to talk about that in some future lessons, but let's notice what Paul does here. He sees that they are a worshiper of a God that that they don't know, and he's going to use that to his advantage to teach them about the God of the Bible. Verse, um, Verse 23, the end of it. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it. So the first thing he teaches them is that everything that you see and know and understand, all the philosophy that you could derive, that you could, could, could be found, is created by this God. What does that mean? We use the term uh, omnipotent today to describe this God. That means he is all-powerful. We use the word omniscient today. That means he's all-knowing. If, if the Epicureans were to have discovered this philosophy, one of the things that they couldn't claim was that it was, that, that it was novel to them, right? It had to have been out there before and they discovered it. You don't, dis- you don't create something that you discover. And so they would have had to have been known then that there's a God out there who created it. The same with the Stoics. Their philosophy had to be created by something bigger than them. And so the first thing we learned, or the first thing that they learned about God was, He is the creator of everything that exists. We're going to talk about this next week, but He is the cause for all effect. The God who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth. Now what does that mean? If you are Lord of heaven and earth, that means you have authority. You are the master over heaven and earth. And in in a very short phrase, Paul has, has told these people, this unknown God that you're willing to worship is the true creator. He's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, and he is your master. So you have a responsibility then to him. That's the first connection that we see Paul making between the unknown God and the God of the Bible. And we've got this bulletized down there. We also see that he is spiritual. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. You know what they were used to seeing? They were used to seeing a physical, the physical features of a God that they had built and put into a temple. And then they would worship that physical image. They would worship that as as being God. And Paul says, that's not God. God doesn't dwell in a temple made with hands. He is spiritual. This is the same conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well, right? God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And so now we've transitioned from being a God that you can put your hands on, and particularly that you can build yourself, to being a God that's out there. Now I don't mean out there like incomprehensible because Paul's going to bring him back to be able to comprehend God, but he's spiritual. He's not physical. And he made, oh verse 25, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath and all things. And so now we see that he doesn't need us to exist. The gods that they had created needed them. Zeus never set up his own temple. Zeus never created his, anything of himself. Anything that Zeus or Apollos or Ares or any of these gods that they worshipped had to be set up by them. And Paul says, that's not the same case with the Jehovah God. He doesn't have to be set up by you. He doesn't have to be, to be ministered to by you because he doesn't need, frankly, he's independent of mankind. He doesn't need man's uh, support to be able to promote himself. And he's not just the creator of the world, but he is the giver of life. He gives life to all, breath and breath. He gives life. He gives to all life and breath and all things. Verse twenty six. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their preappointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. And so now he's getting into the relationship between nations. God made the peoples, and he appointed their times. He appointed the fact that you are here today. He he's appointed this this span of time. Paul would be saying to them, "You are a people because God." allowed it to happen. God appointed it. You see, all this is to present in their minds the idea that God has authority. God has authority in their lives. They have a responsibility to Him. And He's going to tell them what that responsibility is in just a minute. But He's got to set the framework for it. God is all-powerful. He's all-authoritative. You have a responsibility to Him. And... One of the things that the that the Greeks, um, particularly the Epicureans, were were famous for was the idea that the gods, if they do exist, we worship them. They don't care about us. They have no interaction in our lives. They have no they have no real concern for us, and so they're removed from us. They're up in 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 their realm doing their thing, but they have no interactions with us. And what Paul's going to say is this God, not only does he know, but he cares for you. Verse 27, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our beings, as also some of your own prophets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devisings. And so he, he takes all this and he wraps it up and he says, Listen, even some of your own poets have acknowledged that you, we are the, the children of God. We're the offspring of God. We have characteristics of God. How did they get that? It had to have some basis in biblical truth because we can go back to the creation and we can see that we were created in the image of God. We are created with the ability to think for ourselves. We were created with the ability to choose. We were created with an immortal spirit that will live on into eternity. Those are just a few of the characteristics that we have of God. And even the Greeks recognize that and so now he's, he's presented to them a God that was unknown to them, but he is all-powerful, he is authoritative, and he can be sought and found. If you really wanted to, Greeks, you could know about the existence of God. You could see from the universe that we're here. The fact that we exist is evidence that God is real. And yet his divine nature is not something that we can touch, that we can feel, that we can wrap our hands around. So now he's, he's kind of laid the framework for God. And now he's going to, now he's going to transition then in the fact that God, um, that we have a responsibility. Man has a responsibility to God. Notice what he says in verse, 20, verse 30. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. <laughs> there was a time when God winked at the King James says, this foolishness or ignorance that, you, that, that you're seeing manifested right now, this worship of creatures, the, the pursuit of ideas, the, the idea that let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. At one point in time, God just, Paul says, he, he winked at that, he overlooked it. But now he calls all men everywhere to repent. The Jews, the Gentiles, even the Athenians on Mars Hill all have a responsibility to God to recognize him for who he is and to turn away from the sin in their lives to turn to God's righteousness. That's the responsibility of all mankind. You notice here he doesn't get into a lot of detail on what repentance looks like. That would, that would be in a future lesson, right? You could get into the detail, but the idea that you need to change your life, you need to change from whatever we're doing right now that's in opposition to God, we need to change is important. We have to be ready to make revisions in our lives when we come to a knowledge of who God is. We need to be prepared to accept his teachings and to, to follow them. And so there's a need to repent. And here's why. Verse 31. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, there is a day when God is going to judge the world. Do you see why it's important to teach people that God has authority? If... uh, if I didn't know that that police officer driving behind me on 65 had the authority to pull me over, he's no different than any other car out on 65, right? I could slam on my brakes. I could run as fast as I wanted to. I could swerve from lane to lane. I could act however I want to. If, if I didn't think he had the authority to pull me over, I don't care who he is. But I can guarantee you. Almost every one of us in here, I'm, I'm, I'm surmising anyway, when they see a Christian County Sheriff or a Taney County Sheriff or a Green County Sheriff pull up behind them on the highway, they check themselves, right? What do you do? What's the first thing you do? Typically, I look down my speedometer and I see what I'm running, right? And if I, and if necessary, you know what I do next? I repent, right? <laughs> in sackcloth and ashes, if necessary. You get on the brakes, right? You get, you get into a situation where you're prepared to meet your authority, and that's the point at which we need to help people get to. It's one thing to recognize that there is a God who is all-powerful that created the universe. It's it's important that they understand that God has the authority in our lives, that we have a, a responsibility to God, but where the real meat in the gospel lies is the fact that we are someday going to give an account to this God. And he has appointed a judge that's going to oversee the accounting. And here's what he did to testify to the authority of that judge. He said in verse 31, He's appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has appointed a man to be the judge. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. There's Jesus, right? Now he's gotten into the gospel. And from there, he could begin then to preach about Jesus. When, when we first read this, it may seem complex to us. How would we relate to somebody who is unfamiliar with the God of the Bible? How would we teach them about God? It can be very challenging. I'll just tell you the truth. That's, that's a challenge to me sometimes because unless we've practiced it, unless we've broken it down into these elemental steps, sometimes we forget and we want to get stuff out of order. But if you go back and you look at what Paul did, the first thing he did was he found a hook. He found something in common that he could relate to those people that he's teaching. The hook was the unknown God. We both want to worship this God, right? Yeah. Well, let's figure out who he is. He's the creator of the universe, he's the giver of life, he's the one that set the bounds for mankind. And that means he has authority in my life and he has authority, he has authority in your life as well. And he's, he's set up a way where we can know him, where we can seek him and we can find him if we grope for him. But you know what? We don't have to grope for him. He's given us a book that we can read. He's given us a roadmap to get to him. But he's also a set a day when he's going to judge everybody. He's going to judge his followers, but he's also going to judge those who are ignorant of him in righteousness, and he's appointed the judge, a man whom he testified by hanging him on a cross and raising him from the dead. That's essentially what Paul preached here. And if we can practice that process, sometimes the most tricky thing might be finding the hook. What can we find that's similar between what we believe and what you believe, right? What is it that we can find as a common ground to write to because you know what i often look for if you're like me you don't look for common ground i look for the things we can argue about first right let's find the things that we can that we can struggle over first but then we go back and we remember what jesus did jesus deferred he didn't debate right he showed he didn't tell he planted he didn't pick if we could then begin to embody that in ourselves we're going to find it easier to relate to people who have a different Spiritual background, a different religious perspective than we than we do, and help lead them to Christ. Now, not everybody's going to respond positively to this to this method. Not everybody's going to respond positively to the gospel. We know that everybody didn't respond positively to Jesus, and we can see here that not everybody responded positively to Paul. Look at verse thirty-two. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. While others said, We will hear you again on this matter, right? There's always going to be people that are going to laugh. (laughs) That's ridiculous. I've never seen anybody rise from the dead, and therefore it never happens. Right? Just because we've never seen something with our own eyes doesn't mean that it can't happen. And so there's always going to be people that are mocking, but there's always going to be people that are going to want to hear the truth as well. And these people are going to want to hear us again on the matter. They want to hear Paul again. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. And that's the key. That's what we're after right there. We're after the fruit that God gives when the seed is sown. We're after the fruit of our labors. Paul didn't win every single person on the Areopagus, but he got a few, and he had a few more that said, I want to hear more on the matter, right? When Jesus told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he didn't give us a quota on how many people we had to convert. But he did give us the instruction to do preaching and he did promise that we would bear fruit and sometimes we're going to bear a little fruit and sometimes we're going to bear this much fruit and sometimes we're going to bear a hundredfold that's what you saw in pentecost when they had three thousand souls obey the i'd love to have been there on pentecost to see three thousand souls but you know where else i'd like to have been i'd like to have been on that desert road whenever that ethiopian unit came up out of the water rejoicing to seeing that one man obey the gospel and go on his way knowing that he was on the road to heaven You've got some people here that are on the road to heaven because of Paul preaching. And he started with an unknown God, and he brought them to Jesus. And that's our, that's our goal. That's, our, that's what we strive for as we build this evangelistic habit, is to get to the point where we can bring people to Jesus, no matter where they are. Maybe you need to come to Jesus today. Maybe you understand that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and you haven't obeyed the gospel. I want to offer the invitation to you today. Put on Christ in baptism. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're willing to confess your faith in Jesus, you know that you have sin in your life that you need to repent of, let us help you with that. And if you know that you haven't been baptized by Jesus' authority in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, then why not take care of that today? What a wonderful blessing it is to go to bed, put your head on the pillow at night, knowing that you are part of the body of Christ. We can help you with that, we're gonna do that. We're gonna sing an invitation song. And we do have a place now that you can come to if you wanna come to the front. If you're not comfortable coming, I know there's some people that just aren't comfortable with that. If you have a need, a spiritual need, something that we, don't don't let that be a distraction to you. Let's take care of it today. Come see me when we're done. Let's not leave here with any spiritual need unmet. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.